Hello dancers, I hope you are having an amazing day. This year we've talked quite a bit about how we can see improvements in our dance and that a lot of us rely on choreographies to see this progress in the short term. And while that's awesome, it's often harder to see those skills translate into other dances and become part of our general repertoire. So today we've invited Jelena onto the podcast to give us some insights on how we can take the choreographies we learn and use them to our advantage. Jelena is part of the 2021 bundle and will be teaching a Mejance workshop for us. So these are skills you'll be putting directly into practice in this year's bundle. So let's jump in to how we can learn better with choreographies with Jelena. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. I'm your host, Tiffany, and today we have with us Jelena. Jelena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here with the bundle. So since this is your first time on the podcast, and trust me, I'm going to be trying to get you back in the future, can you <laughs> give us a little bit of your backstory? I feel like tons of people know who you are, but do they necessarily know how it started, how you kind of turned into a professional dancer? Did, did, was this the plan for you or was it kind of an accident like it is for the rest of us? It was kind of a combination, Tiffany. Um I was doing jazz and hip hop and I was always a dancer. Um, and as I was actually going to college to be a dietitian and I started, I just kind of kept pursuing the dance and I started working as a dancer. So it, it just, you know, it kind of answered that, that, that passion uh, of wanting to become a professional dancer. So I was pursuing that. And then of course I discovered belly dance, oriental rock sharky. And I started out in the AMCAB world. I mean, mm -hmm. real old school cam AMCAB with Turkish music and zills and floor work and karshlamas and veils. Uh, then I transitioned into my deep love of Egyptian dance, Roxel Sharkey. I started traveling to Egypt and studying with the masters and studying um, in the United States, of course, uh, with some of the great, great teachers here. Continued that passion. I started my first dance company in, I think it was 1995, the Sahlala Dancers. Uh, we did like the whole LA scene for, for many, many years. And actually I just sold the company in, in 2020. So it was a little bit of an end of that chapter for me. Um, I met Miles Copeland during that time. I toured with the belly dance superstars for about seven years as the artistic director and main choreographer. And that, as many of you all know, there was a, you know, a wild ride for all of us in the belly dance world. Um, I was not the executive producer, so a lot of people uh, kind of associated me with that project, but I was the artistic director. So at that next chapter for me, creating Belly Dance Evolution, where I was the executive producer and the artistic director, I, I got to change um, my creative process a little bit more. So mm -hmm. starting that project um, and theatrical storytelling through the lens of world fusion, Middle Eastern global dance has pretty much taken me here. And of course, my coaching and teaching all over the globe. Um, one of the reasons I thought about the belly dance evolution concept of um, uh, sort of local casting when I bring a show to, um, to a region, so let's say if I'm going to Japan or I'm going to Argentina, is I was traveling to these places, I was seeing such incredible talent, such, such incredible talent um, from dancers all over the globe. And a lot of them wanted to join the belly dance superstars or do um, bigger projects. 
So I thought, you know, what if I brought my project here and did a casting um, in the areas that I was traveling to? So that's how that concept was, was born. That's awesome. And I, you know, not everybody gets that opportunity. So, you know, having the ability to, to jump into a show like this is, it's like a once in a lifetime thing for a lot of dancers. And it's, it's cool that you, you give them that opportunity through it. It's, it's pretty special. And I, I, a lot of what I do is collaborative. I work with a lot of uh, contributing choreographers and costume designers and uh, musicians. So it's, it's each show has had its own unique touch um, with different collaborations with artists really from around the globe. So it's been um, a blessing for me and I learn something new every single time. It's always like a learning journey as well with these productions. So one thing that I've been speaking a lot about this year with the bundle and our dance tracker freebie and everything that we've kind of been putting together is seeing progress in your dance. And, you know, through your practice, through the things that you spend your time on, because I think, you know, so many people have a hard time seeing that progress happen. So I'm very interested to hear about your process when it comes to learning and dance, because you, you know, you mentor so many dancers, you run these large scale productions, you work with local dancers, you know, so you're not, you're not even bringing one team around with you. You're teaching dancers over and over again and seeing them progress like in their dances so I feel like you probably have insights here that can really help dancers looking to to feel like they're improving and not like improving three years from now when they look back but feeling it as they go yeah I think that's 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 probably the most rewarding thing as a, as a teacher is to see the students make those and sometimes it's just incremental those 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 shifts those those um that improvement and uh, one of the things I have to say, and, and this is also just like my personal thing is like, you can't get to the good dancing without the bad dancing. You know, it doesn't just happen from like, you know, like you're a beginner and then you're a professional. You have to see all of that in between. So kind of thinking about that, in, and that's with any art form, I've, I've, you know, as a choreographer or, or as a composer, you know, I've choreographed lots of <laughs> lots of fails uh, over my career, but I couldn't get to the good ones without those fails. Mm -hmm. So like failure and success, they take the same road and just kind of embracing those learning experiences and reflecting back on what did I learn and how to keep progressing with that. But I think having a dedicated practice is a commitment. And that's different for everybody. And, and as, a, as a teacher, it's, it's so important that I honor that with my students. Uh, some of my students are moms. Some of them have full-time jobs. They're, they're engineers, they're, you know, they're uh, lawyers or whatever is happening, or they're full-time professional dancers. So I think being realistic about the commitment that they want to make to see their progress and whatever it is, even if it's just a 30 minute, you know, five days a week uh, commitment, but being realistic um, that they're able to do it and maintain that, that consistency, consistency. There's nothing like consistency. You can't, you know, you can't replace that with anything, just kind of building those, those neurons and building that myelin in the brain and in the body and creating that muscle memory. Can you speak a bit more to accepting failure, like accepting, making the bad thing, because I think, especially as artists, oh, I've got lots of failures. I'm happy to share those. <laughs> like, like as artists and as, you know, we're trying to learn how to move our bodies in new ways. And that, that comes inherently with the fact that it's not always going to work, right? It's right. you're going to get stuck. You're going to get lost. 
So how do we move through those feelings? Cause it's all, it's all in the mindset, right? How do you move through that feeling of like, oh my goodness, I can't do this and actually turn that into, this is just a step on the journey. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's, it's really tough because in some ways, Roxel Sharkey, this dance, it's, it's, there's a certain perception that it's supposed to always be beautiful, you know, shiny. And as I'm talking more a little bit about the Egyptian style and those types of things. So I'll kind of talk about that niche and getting, getting, working outside of that perception that it has to look so beautiful and shiny and perfect and getting away, getting away from the perfection mm-hmm. that practice doesn't make perfect practice just makes more practice. Right. So getting away from that was really served me really well because I, I would, I was kind of, I'm kind of obsessive. So whenever I would like attack a project or do something, I just, it, I, I wanted it to be a certain standard. So I, I would dedicate a lot of time to that, but getting, getting comfortable with that. And the other thing that I would recommend is to actually schedule in like playtime to do something that's creative that you're not necessarily going to share with anybody else. You're not going to teach it to mm-hmm. anybody. You're not going to teach it to your students. You're not going to perform it on stage. Mm-hmm. It's just about you having that freedom. And that's something that I've been exploring in the last couple of years, a little bit more is, is playtime. And I've been doing it in, even in my classes, something live classes, um, is just scheduling in some creative time. Like I'm not worried about the outcome. So getting away from what is the outcome of this practice and just getting into connecting to my dance and my practice and, and the creativity of it and not having that, you know, deadline, I've got to present it on stage. It has to be perfect. So getting away from those, you know, of course you've got to have deadlines and you've got to have real, you want to have those types of goals too, but yeah. scheduling in stuff that's just creative and that doesn't have to be presented or shared with others yes or just a select you know a select group of of of, you know people that are close to you whatever you know and that's like the dangers of social media too I feel in this age right is that even the little things that we practice even if they're not necessarily for a stage show or for a thing we we plan to share them on social and yes so there is always that element of someone else is going to see this. Someone else is going to judge this, but moving away from that and just making it play. Yeah. That's, that's how I worked on my last production. That was part of my process is I was teaching. It took me about a year to build that show. We were doing the jungle book. And what I would do is I would teach these weekly community classes. And for the first hour was technique and stretch and practice and drills. And then the last hour was called stay and play. And the only rule was, uh, there was no rules. Um, and you have to be <laughs> flexible. You had to have an open mind and be flexible and it didn't have to be perfect. And it allowed me as a, as a choreographer is to try a bunch of ideas on a group of people who are uh, in the same mindset of this is just having fun and trying new things. And it was amazing. I got so many great ideas and suggestions, even from my students. Uh, of all levels. So just being able to like put that into the practice was incredibly valuable for me and, and actually very satisfying. It was very satisfying because most of my career, I've always had tried to push and have those, those hard deadlines. So when I speak to dancers, they, they often tell me that the progress that they see is usually through working on choreographies, right? They don't, it's harder for people to to kind of find that progress piece 
outside of the choreographic space. And a lot of these dancers, they love doing workshops with you because they, they get so much from your choreographies. So what would you say are some tips on how to get the most out of a choreography from like a improving a technique perspective? Because, you know, clearly you learn things through a choreography, but it's sometimes it's hard to take those pieces, those things that you learned and integrate them into like your own dance outside of that one choreography? That's such a great question because that, (sighs) I have a lot to say about that. So first of all, you know, we learn from our teachers and I've studied with so many great um, teachers and learned their choreographies. But one thing I I did was I would come home and I would deconstruct them and I would Mm -hmm. take parts out and I would apply them to my own choreographies or my classes or routines for my group. So back in the day, and I'd go to Egypt and spend all my time and money and study with Rakia Hassan, and she'd make this like insanely complicated choreography uh, for me to digest and take home. I, I would turn that into like five choreographies usually. I was like, I'm gonna just recycle and I'm gonna use this and I'm gonna use that. So just one of the quick tips I would say is um, teach it to somebody else. And I always tell people, if you take a class from me, you can teach it, you can perform it, you can chunk it, you can dissect, you can do whatever you want with it, but uh, challenge yourself with the, with the tough, you know, the things you didn't master today. But teacher learns the most. Whenever you teach somebody something, it actually makes your brain uh, dive deep into the details. So mm-hmm. the first tip I would say is teach somebody, grab, invite a friend over and say, hey, I learned this cool choreography or your students. I was encouraged that. And for me, that was a great tool is to actually teach it. Um, the other thing that I do with my teaching styles, I have this, this chunking. I make, I make it into chunks. I love the word chunks. <laughs> <laughs> chunky. I make it nice and chunky. So I, I take each section. So at, let's say we have these four counts of eight of this sidey section. And then I loop the music with that. And I do that when I'm when I'm choreographing and I do that when I'm teaching. So when mm. I'm choreographing, I get to focus and repeat and repeat. You know, you keep running back to your iPod and like scrolling yeah. back just that one section. So I've come up with this recipe where I, I, I do that even when I'm choreographing. So it helps to speed up that process. Mm-hmm. And I do that when I'm teaching. So the student gets to practice that specific section with me four times in a row, those four counts of eight. And then we build on, and then we go to combination two. And that next section is the, the Wahada Kabira, for example. And then we repeat that for a bunch of times. Now let's put those two together and we kind of puzzle it all together. But taking those, those segments and then putting it onto different music, mm-hmm. that's when you can start to develop your own style and you can de- develop like new nuances into someone's choreography, into, you know, a Jolina choreography or a choreography or whoever you're studying with, try those moves out or like little sections and try it out with a different piece of music that can be really fun and creative and um, take, take, take you into a journey that you can start to develop your own style. And that's something that I always encourage. I, I love when people add their own, their own expression because we're not all the same. We don't have the same ex- life experiences. So your life experiences, Tiffany, are different than mine. So I would love to see that influenced when you do, when you do your, your art. Yeah. And I think you're taking the pieces out. You're, you're removing them from the whole, right? Cause when you learn a choreography, yeah. it's like a, it's a sequence of moves to music. 
And sometimes we get stuck in the sequence, yes. right? But so breaking it out into these chunks and then, okay, how can I put this chunk to a different piece of music? How does it fit? Something with the same, you know, general feel or undertone, but right, it, it forces you to flex a creative muscle that just learning a choreography doesn't necessarily do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then you can even take those and dissect those. And then you can take them to your class and do some combos with your students. And again, teacher learns the most. So it's an opportunity to take parts, re, you know, kind of re, redo them a little bit to fit and suit another, another piece of music. But it definitely takes you on a different pathway. I love the teacher learns the most because it's something in uh, early childhood development. So I have a little kid. And, you know, she's like almost four and we can tell that she's starting to actually pick something up when she starts trying to teach us how to do it. It's like, oh, no, mama, let me show you how to do this. And we're like, "Okay, (laughs) we taught you last week. But, you know, so you can see it like it is a natural thing for us to do as humans, as little kids do it all the way through adults. And I think you can even teach yourself where, you know, if you don't have somebody to teach. That's right. Just showing up in front of a mirror and being like, okay, I'm going to teach myself this choreography that I learned. And like, just even saying it out loud to yourself as you go can probably be so helpful for people who don't have the opportunity to teach others. I love that. I love that. I'm going to teach myself that choreography I just learned. But I mean, you know, that's the thing is how many of us, myself included, I'm raising my hand, have gone to a workshop, traveled across the globe, spent all this money, took all these workshops and then never practiced them again, never applied them, never yes. did anything. It's like, oh my God, that's such an investment. So trying to think about getting the most out of your investment and not just the money, but also the time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Because that's, and that's what I mean, right? Like we, we go, we take these choreographies, we learn them. And in classes, it's easier. We see over eight weeks, yeah. we see ourselves getting better <laughs> at the thing. But when you do, you go to a weekend workshop or you get something like the bundle, you learn these choreographies and then what? Yeah. It's a one-off weekend. It's a one-off live workshop and you, you learn the techniques, you get them through the choreography, but then taking those back. That's the hard part. Yeah. Taking them back. That's true. And you have to work at it. It has to be, there has to be a plan. (laughs) Not just discover that, oh, that's in my phone. Like remember back in the day when we didn't have the phones? (laughs) I would find notes. I found all these notebooks of written choreographies when I was moving. (laughs) And when trying to read that and looking at them, do you, can you remember any of the choreographies from there? Honestly, no, no. I, I, some of the moves I was like, oh yeah. Like some of the way I would, ways I would describe the move, but unless you, unless I put on the music and then actually try to apply it, I don't know. I had, I haven't actually tested that theory yet. Um, I'd be very curious because I find that even when I learn, I learn choreographies and then years later, I'll go back and watch it. I'm like, oh, my body doesn't remember how to do this. Like I would have to teach myself how to do it again. And I might learn it faster, but it's been so long since I learned it. Like, because I, you know what, for me, I have to say once, if I have performed something at least once, it is in my muscle memory. It's amazing. It's about it. I could go back five or six years and it will be like, maybe 70% there. I could, oh, da, 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 you know, the little <laughs> superstar routine. <laughs> if I hear that music, I'm probably going to remember that. So if, if I push myself, once I presented it on stage, I've gone past that a certain threshold. Yeah. Then I know it. Then I know. It. And if I've performed it a couple of times, 
the repetition. Repetition is the mother of skill. Right. And that's where the consistency yeah. comes in that you mentioned that's earlier. Right. It's not consistency. So, it's not so much showing up once or twice every now and then it's showing up consistently to right. remember it and be part of the, your practice, having a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Have a plan. Absolutely. <laughs> so what about then the skills that are harder to get in a choreography, right? Like it's, how do you bring your style, bring the feeling, find the grace in a piece, right? These things that we often tend to associate with finding a personal style, because clearly you can find choreographies that have these elements. Plenty of yours do, but a lot of the, a lot of students, they find these both harder to find. Like, I'm going to go, I want to work on my feeling. I'm going to go find a choreography that I can learn that really focuses on that. Right. That's harder to find. And then I feel like in that is harder to bring over into the chunks, into your own practice, than perhaps a combo or a piece of a choreography. What are your suggestions around that? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I would say is, you know, marinating. For me, it's it's the connection of the music, mm. um, connecting to the music and how that music makes you feel, and then how that feeling can initiate the movements. So working through, so when I'm working on something and I'm trying to add feeling, I just sit with the music and I kind of like I marinate in it, just listen to it over and over. And I start to think about like, just even if I just choose one word, this music gives me like a sense of freedom. I feel freedom. I feel free. I feel like I'm flying. I feel free. So, you know, kind of, kind of getting into like a mantra, like, okay, that's, that's something that I'm feeling. And it makes it personal for me mm-hmm. and someone else listened to the same exact piece of music and then when I start to add movements to it I start to tap into that feeling and initiate the movements from that word or that emotion and mm-hmm. and 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 then repeating repeating and repeating and and visualizing and sometimes sitting and taking a bunch of notes it could be like I've seen dancers take a whole journal and write like a whole all these emotions and storyline through just one piece of music and through certain exercises I've done with my students. And some dancers just have two words, a whole piece of music. And that it that works for them and the other process works for the other dancers. So it's also about your process and being, being true to who you are. Mm-hmm. Not, not just trying to you know, put on this mask and do this thing that you're being told to do, but you have to genu- genuinely believe in it. And even if it's just that one word for you, and you're thinking about that freedom idea when you're dancing or you're thinking about flying. Um, when you start connecting to it and it makes it, you start feeling authentic, you start tapping into that, the audience will relate to that. And you don't have to have to speak, you know, the introduction, to, you don't have to announce the story, you don't have to tell the story. Uh, a lot of what I do is abstract, so I don't necessarily have a script that the, um, the MC will introduce about a piece, but I just know what I'm feeling and I'm going through and, and tapping into that and hopefully translating that um, with the audience. So that would be my, my idea about feeling um, about the nuances and style is just that repetition, but taking, let's say I do, um, you know, like a chasse step, like a basic chasse step, and then start thinking about, okay, in that section, what if I, I started with my arms going up? So trying different arm patterns, trying different angles, so adding a few elements that you explore. So maybe you try, you don't have, 
I would suggest not trying everything, try like three or four mm-hmm. and then stick and then choose one. Oh, this felt really good. Or this looks good. And then you're going to discover the other three are really ridiculous. <laughs> you're just doing, <laughs> you're doing like this really weird stuff, but you can't get to the good stuff without the bad stuff. Right. We kind of talked about, it. you can't get to the good dancing without the bad dancing. So try, try on three or four things. And then, you know, stick with what works and then repeat that a bunch of times and try that chasse with that new arm, arm pattern. Um, but you're still doing the same floor pattern as that choreography you just learned, but you're going to add those new nuances and elements. And, and sometimes it's just playing with angles. I love mm-hmm. that. I love dancers who kind of use the space, change up the angle um, with teaching. It's something I talk about because with teaching and for the teachers out there, it's plus teaching on Zoom or on the screen, you've got to stay pretty flat and kind of, and you know, you're back to the camera and, and facing your mirror because that's, that's the, the best and fastest way to learn on zoom. So if I'm constantly turning my, uh, turning my back to the audience, which would be facing the camera and the students have to look over their shoulder to see the camera because they don't have the 3d perspective of being in a live class. Mm-hmm. So even with teaching now, I'm very mindful of that. And then I like to show like, these are the opportunities you could do. So just lean into the camera because you know how people's faces come in and out of the camera, like lean yeah. into the screen and just watch this version. So I want you to see the possibilities beyond just right and left and right and left and front and back and front and back, right? Mm-hmm. So try, I, trying those things. I like that using using the choreography, using the piece, the chunk as the base, and then experimenting on there and experimenting with different ways to do things so that you can then develop the style or the feeling or the expression or, you know, whatever that like esoteric piece is that you're trying to add into your dance, the thing that you're focusing on, it kind of gives you a base. Cause that's right. That's the question is I'm going to work on the feeling in my dance, but like on what, how, with yeah. what tools like this is a great way to dive into that yeah playing playing it all comes back to the play stay in play <laughs> stay in play <laughs> it's a little harder on zoom but i'm gonna figure it out <laughs> i believe i believe in it um so what does then your personal practice kind of look like right now like how does how do you move through your studies as an eternal student and, and create that consistency and this growth in yourself, even at the levels that you've achieved in this dance? Uh, well, thank you for that. I, I definitely consider myself the eternal student. Um, and I've taken some wonderful opportunities to, to, to watch classes, see classes and take classes online. I think it's an important tool that I use to be an empathetic teacher because I want to, I want to have the student experience. And every time I have that student experience, I learn something new about being a teacher and I learned some new ideas how to express movement I learn a new movement uh, a new way to describe an old movement there's always something to learn so I always found value in in in, in continuing my training and uh, with the opportunities on zoom that has been really really special as well um, I was actually one of your customers for the bundle last year because I wanted <laughs> to see all my colleagues I wanted to you know, check everybody out. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but part of my practice, what I've done um, is I've, I kind of try to set up my mornings as my movement and my dance time. My, my, my most, my most important um, decision-making projects happen in the morning. 
because later in the day, you know, you get that decision fatigue and yep. um, life know, takes as over. The, as you can see right now, well, you can't see because we're on a podcast, but the, the, the sunlight comes in pretty strong later in the day. The, the position of my studio uh, gets a lot of sunlight later in the day. So the mornings are just incredibly special for me. So I set up my morning with a good warm up, even if it's just some yoga or some stretching. And then I get to the creative, the creative work. I work on my dance. I work on my pieces. Um, working on the inside looks, working on the the choreographies, thinking about ways to something I've been kind of playing with is, you know, taking, you know, not getting too far away from, you know, this beautiful form of Roxel Sharkey and finding new ways to, to explore some of those old movements. And it's something I'm having a lot of fun with lately. So it's, it's different, different flavors. It depends. I just also filmed a, a dance development program. So it was a very specific project that I worked on. I, I choreographed a bunch of drills and a bunch of technique. So it depends on what I'm working on, um, but that's my current, current project right now. So it's for me about the morning practice, getting up early and, and just jumping right into it. And then later in the day is a little bit more laptop time, organization, admin, you know, all, all, all the other, took, all this, all this stuff we took dance class for. <laughs> yeah. Right. All the other fun, uh, the fun admin work that comes with being a professional dancer. <laughs> exactly. We wear so many hats. So, 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 so many hats. As you well know, Tiffany, we're wearing a lot of hats this month. Bundle time is always uh, multiple hat time. So if you could tell people to do one thing in their practice planning, they're going to, they're going to go home. They're like, all right, I got to have a plan. I'm going to get a little bit of consistency in here. I'm going to start working on stuff. What would you have them do? I would have them set a goal, have them set a goal. And it could be different. It could be for next month and you put it on the calendar and then just work backwards. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you need to, to get to that goal? Let's say you want to work on your shimmy and you want to have a drum, you know, a nice drum solo in two months. So have that on the calendar and make it non-negotiable. I mean, unless the life-threatening thing happens, but it's non-negotiable mm-hmm. because we could always come with a thousand excuses. Stuff comes For real. up. So non-negotiable deadline and then just de- deconstruct backwards. So like every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is going to be, I'm going to be practicing, I'm going to do drills. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to work on the layering, maybe choreography. So make a fun plan. Make it something that you can um that you'll commit to and that you're going to enjoy and that you'll, that you'll stick with for that consistency, but put it on the calendar and then just go backwards. Excellent. Excellent advice. I've, I cannot. Yes. So much on that, <laughs> right? Like I can't even words because so many dancers, I feel like approach their practice and they don't have a goal and right. without a goal, you can't really see progress because you're not actually working towards a thing. Right. Right. And it could be a small goal. It doesn't have to be this big production or massive choreography. Maybe it's um, a new class, uh, new class content, like, you know, whatever it is for the, t- for the teachers there, but having that um, realistic consistency, like if you're a mom, is that realistic that you're going to get that much practice time, you know, between homeschooling and everything else going on in the world uh, or your jobs or your, you know, you're now you're back to commuting. So what is, what does that look like? What is that realistic, uh, timeline? So, so that you can accomplish that goal. Fantastic. Jelena, tell people where can they find you on the internet? What have you got going on? How can they be part 
of all of the awesome things that you are creating <laughs> right now? Well, I'm online, Jelena.com, J-I-L-L-I-N-A. And I've got monthly meetups that I'm really excited about. We meet up once a month and the, the content is online forever. And I've got um, just four workshops a year that I do. So very, very unique and special. And with the Together We Move program and partnering up um, with belly dance studios from around the globe. So my online coaching, and we're doing our first um, Wizard of Oz, our first production since the lockdown. We're going to Denmark in November, so you can catch the Wizard of Oz live show in Denmark. So excited! Eleven eleven. It's kind of a, it's kind of like a good luck date, I feel. Yeah. And um, yeah, so lots of stuff online, and then of course I'm doing my Maui retreats here. Very intimate coaching. Uh, just a small group of 10, the first two already sold out. So I'm looking to open up some more calendar dates for that. But Maui is such a, such a special, unique place. And I can't wait to open up my home uh, to my friends. So lots of, lots of stuff. And of course, Instagram and Facebook and, and all that when it's, when it's working, when it's working, which is not yeah, early yeah. today on the day we're recording. <laughs> yeah, 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 It's all good. I was like, what happened? What's going on? Um, but yeah, I try to stay up to date with that stuff and you can message me there as well. If you find me there. Awesome. We'll put links to all of that on the show notes page, everybody. So if you're interested in checking out all of the things Jelena has going on, you can head over there to the show notes Thank page. You. Well, of course I'm going to be in there. the bundle and you're I'll in the, the bundle. bundle. Yeah. That'll be my January, my January workshop. Yes. Which is, uh, of course, how we want people to interact with you next. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Join in on our bundle. Yeah. And I do offer two time zones, uh, because I, you know, not everybody can do specific dates or, you know, can't get up at two o'clock in the morning to do workshops. So I have one that's really good for like Australia and parts of Asia. And one that's great for the U S Canada, Latin America, and Hawaii. I'm online at like 6 30 in the morning, you guys. I'm I'm working it. I'm working it here for you to, <laughs> to make it to make it the user experience. Honestly, that's important to me. I want it to be fun for you. So when I saw my student come in at like 2 a.m., I was like, <laughs> we need to <laughs> fix some it, things. We, we need to fix some things. Yeah. I mean, if you're committed, I'm committed. Fantastic. Julina, one last question for you before I let you go. We are trying to bring some positivity to all of the COVID times. So I would like to know what has been the best dance experience of your pandemic so far? So it's, it's been uh, it's been an emotional roller coaster, I think for the whole dance community. And I think when the whole thing first started and I saw so many studios struggling, it was pretty traumatic. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been 30 years in the dance community and I'm just, I hold, I hold this space so, so precious. And um, when I started doing the Together We Move program and I had, it was for dancers and studios and teachers, I was donating online content that I was not releasing myself at all. So I was releasing it to studio owners and teachers to, to continue um, to help them out because everyone was trying to figure out the filming thing, the online thing that, you know, it was all a big learning curve for all of us. So I just jumped in and did that and I was able, and through the other program, Paso Paso for Latin America, I was able to help over 300 teachers um, through their studios or their programs. And it felt so rewarding that after 30 years of doing what I love so, so very much that, that, that my art and my tool and that my name and through all that work that I was able to help them even in small incremental amounts that that was the most rewarding thing 
uh, of my of my career, I have to say. So I was really proud of that. And it was so inspiring to see that and kept pushing me to keep showing up, to keep working and to keep giving, you know, give, 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 give relentlessly. And when you give and for the teachers out there, the advice is give and be generous. And it doesn't mean that you're it doesn't mean that it's free. You can still charge for things. You know, I, I, I want to make sure that that's clear. But when you give, give. 110%, give 100 times the value when, when people show up for your, for your programs that they feel that their time is appreciated and they're valued and you give and you share your ideas because when ideas are shared, they get to be improved. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I love about it. And I still get to have my own ideas. I still have my ideas, but now I get to share them and people get to improve upon them. So that, that also feels really good. Yeah. I know a lot of people really appreciated what you were doing with the together we move and, and showing like, it was, I feel like there was this whole coming together of the dance community to support each other as much as we could, because it like, especially when the pandemic first started shutting things down, it was so hard. And so to be able to come together and have programs like together, we move and to be supporting each other in these ways, I think shows how together we are right? Like together we move. It's a perfect name for it. Like how integrated the community is to helping us all survive this really hard time. So that's, thank you so much for doing that and for being here for the community in, in rough times. We appreciate it. Yeah, we, we, we were definitely together. It's been, it's been a heck of a year and a half, year and a half now. Yeah. 18 months, right? Amazing. Well, Jelena, thank you so much for your time today, for everything you do for the dance community. And I cannot wait to take your class through the bundle and to check out all of the things that you are putting out into the world right now. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Tiffany. And thank you for for bringing these opportunities because the bundle is such a great concept. It's a great opportunity for um, new students. Like I said, I was one of your clients last year (laughs) and it was really fun. And for new students, you just want to try something and they're not really sure they're new in the, in the scene. It's a wonderful opportunity, not just for the students, but also for the teachers and for us to come together and learn and grow and, and share our art form together. So thank you for what you're doing. And thanks for this cool podcast. I'm a big podcast fan. <laughs> thank you so much. Everyone who's listening, thank you for your time. Thank you for being here with us today. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. There were some great tips in this episode on ways to use the choreographies that you're learning to push your whole dance forward. Which one will you be trying first? Whenever you get so many great tips all at once, it's always good practice to pick just one to start with and see how it goes. Adding too many things all at once to your practice often ends up with feelings of overwhelm. Pick the thing that stuck out to you the most today and try it the next time you learn a choreography. Then come back and give this episode another listen. With that new practice under your belt, you'll find another piece that catches your ear and you're back to it. Learning and growing is a lifelong pursuit. As you heard, even Jelena is still taking classes and got in on the bundle sale in 2020. You can check out all of Jelena's socials and see her contribution to the 2021 Belly Dance Bundle at thebellydancebundle.com slash eight zero. So whatever choreography you are working on right now, grab one of these tips and go make it your own.